Welcome to the second podcast in our three-part series on the transcarrier nurdle spill, which occurred in February 2020. My guest is Thomas Sturgeon from ITOF. ITOF is GARD's go-to advisor on pollution cleanup for all pollution types, including nurdles. We called upon their expertise in the aftermath of the transcarrier spill. Now, historically, ITOF was um, called International Tanker Owners Pollution Federation, but now it's just called ITOF. And maybe, Thomas, you can explain a little bit about ITOF, what it does, and what you do. Yes, absolutely. Good morning. Um, so uh, we are referred to as ITOF, and um, the acronym was a historical sort of uh, aspect. And now we've moved away from um, breaking down the acronym simply because we now cover a large proportion of the shipping fleet, which is not only tankers. So we also um, provide for non-tankers and our services uh, are for both tankers and non-tankers. So that sort of explains um, that. And uh, ITOP, just in summary, really, is a, a non-for-profit organisation. Um, and we, generally speaking, provide objective technical advice for uh, worldwide pollution incidents. Most of us, uh, like myself, are either scientists or engineers um, who, broadly speaking, specialise in response to different types of pollution. So that could be hydrocarbons, um, H&S, hazardous noxious substance spills, uh, vessels that have, have sunk maybe with livestock on board or bulk cargoes like coal and plastics. And um, obviously, plastics are in discussion today. And I, just to finalise, I guess, we base our services into five key areas. So there's spill response, which is our priority service. We provide this 24 seven, 365 days a year. Um, and that's either remote advice or we, we go out to site quite often and advise on site uh, alongside the senior sort of manager um, on site, whether it's government led or industry. We provide contingency planning uh, and advisory work uh, claims analysis and damage assessment and training and information services. So that's sort of broadly speaking. That's great. And what's your personal background? So uh, my personal background, I worked, um, I, first of all, I studied as environmental sciences and uh, worked as a commercial diver for a brief period. Um, I then did oceanography and uh, worked in offshore management for renewables um, in the renewables industry. So yeah, that's my sort of broad background. So let's talk a little bit about ITOF's role in the transcarrier incident. My understanding is that it was a fairly brief involvement in the case during the initial phase. And that one of the things that you did is to assist guard and C-trans in modeling where the nurdles would be expected to strand. Um, can you just tell me a little bit more about your initial involvement? Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, as you say, it was a, a fairly brief involvement, but we were always on hand um, to to be called and provide advice where it was needed. And I think quite often we were uh, called up to advise specifically on the response techniques or listen in on some of the meetings and just uh, lend some advice on our past experience from other cases and and maybe advise how they could be applicable to uh, this specific scenario. Um, so you're correct in saying that yeah, we modelled um, the 
the trajectory of the nurdles, as it were, and this was done using a, a MOFI drift simulation. Um, I can touch on the specifics of that in a minute, but I guess the details were that it, it was actually very accurate. It, uh, it, it correctly predicted the, the fate of the nurdles and where they would move considering the hydrodynamics. So the currents and the winds um, moved them from almost just offshore Denmark all the way up to the coast of Nordic, Norway and Sweden. Uh, so it was a, a very accurate um, modeling run that was done. And I think that helped the response quite significantly. I know that other runs or modeling was done uh, by the Norwegian government as well. Um, and it had similar results. Now, ITOF uh, has done some sophisticated studies and mapping to be able to predict where oil will land in order to maximize cleanup opportunity. Um, did the work on oil translate to nurdle spills? What was similar and what was different? So th this is actually a really interesting uh, point. To some degree, oil spill trajectory modeling using, um, for example, a buoyant non-weathering oil has proven really applicable to plastic pellet pollution uh, in past cases. And we've actually used uh, oil spill models to model nurdle spills um, as most of the nurdles float. And this was proven, I suppose, the transcarrier case actually proved how accurate this was. And so did other cases um, because the container was punctured on the deck. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've already touched on this, but the container was punctured on the deck, the nurdles spilt out and then the waves washed them into the water. So therefore they were loose free floating nurdles. And in some ways they they move in similar to oil. So the modeling was able to show that the nurdle spill um, had in fact occurred from the vessel Transcarrier, which was 300 nautical miles away from where the nodals were found on the south coast of Norway and Sweden. The difference, however, uh, is that plastic pellets, um, they move differently uh, with the wind and the waves uh, because of their geometry. So there certainly is uh, scope to improve the models for this purpose. Um, although it's not been properly studied and integrated into response models yet, organizations such as RPS are looking into this. Uh, with software such as OilMap. So it's definitely an area of worthwhile research uh, for the future. Um, a, a key point here actually is that various various models can be used to predict the trajectory of objects. So it's really important uh, from an instant point of view or an instant management point of view, um, it's really important to know if the nurdles spilt are loose or within a shipping container, uh, since the behavior of nurdles will be very different um, from an intact floating bag to a shipping container or freely floating. So uh, it makes a, a, a bit more complicated if we don't know this information, as the trajectory obviously of each of a shipping container and of a bag of nurdles will have to then be uh, overlaid and their respective tra trajectories sort of mapped and then a, a circle drawn around the area where they could be to prioritize cleanup or search, um, search for the containers. So, that that's a key point that uh, if we get a call and ITOPS asked to advise and assist with this, we would be asking that information um, from the caller. Mm. So I hope mm. that asked your, answered your question. Yes, absolutely. And more. <laughs> One of the things that I think is so challenging about this type of spill is, first of all, the, the product that's built is very, very small. Um, and also they float and they disperse they um, will come up with tide, they will get caught under rocks, they will re-release. So you have this 
difficulty in um, actually finding them and picking them up. But can you just uh, comment on the lessons learned with respect to cleanup technique coming from your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all those points are, are very, yeah, very crucial to emphasize that. Yes, they are. They're highly mobile. And um, and previous cases have shown that plastic pellet cleanup can take several years without ever recovering all of the nurdles. Um, it can just be so difficult to, to actually find them all and then recover them. Um, so cleanup can be really costly and unlike oil plastic pellets don't biodegrade so considering this we i suppose one of the first best practice or sort of lessons learned is that uh, prevention is better than cure like with everything um, and it's which is why we feel stowage um, securing and packaging is really important uh, but when it comes to best practice i would say quick reaction shoreline surveys and using appropriate cleanup techniques uh, are, are fundamental as well and I can I suppose if you, I can go into more detail in each of those if you like. I think um, when we talked to to Ula um, and Gisela they were mentioning that they were using um, basically industrial vacuum cleaners I think is a is a way to refer to it but is that is that what is generally used? So I, I think, uh, yeah, in this scenario, it proved very effective. Um, but generally speaking, it's, it's very hard to, to say one method is better than the other. It's completely dependent on the shoreline type and on the debris that they have on the beach. And so we would definitely say that uh, it needs to be bespoke to the, the coastline and the conditions that um, the, shore, the, the country has or the, on, the, on the shoreline. For example, uh, vacuum sort of backpack mounted leaf uh, leaf collection devices like we used in, in Norway were really they, they proved highly efficient on rocky shores but manual collection via sibs and beach cleaning devices can be um, far superior on sandy shorelines because they're just it's mechanized it's less labor intensive and it's efficient so definitely selecting the uh, the right cleanup technique for the shoreline is uh, one of the top pieces of advice I think we'd give and yeah we assisted with that on the transcarrier case. Let's um, talk a little bit about um, some of uh, what may be better ways to carry nurdles because uh, I think the point that you're making and I think the point that everybody has made that I've talked to is prevention is better than cure because it's very difficult to clean up all of the spill or even a significant portion of the spill because of the size of the nurdles and the disbursement. But do you have any comments about what could be done within the industry? Yeah, yes, uh, I do have definitely, we definitely have some comments um, relating to this. Uh, there are organizations, Operation Clean Sweep, for example, is worth mentioning um, for people that want to find more information about it, but it touches not, it doesn't touch so much detail on the maritime aspect. So my advice is, is more specific to that. Uh, I would say it's outside our expertise, um, but in our experience from recent incidents, we would say that yes, there's better ways to carry plastic pellets, and many of them are quite simple. Uh, the two main ones would say is we'd advise that containers be located inboard rather than outboard, and if possible, below deck rather than on top or near the side of a vessel, for, and this is for obvious reasons. And although packaging is uh, is sort of outside our expertise and we'd like to communicate and we'd recommend that the shipping organization communicates with the 
uh, the distributing um, or the nerd or manufacturer, we would suggest that it's robust to avoid spillage within the container. And the reason we suggest these two points is because we've seen two key scenarios uh, from our experience. Uh, the first being that containers are breached whilst on deck and the nurdles have spilt out and were then washed overboard by waves. And the second is uh, when a container has been lost overboard and then wave action over days and months has resulted in the contents being released. So <clears throat> I think by implementing two lines of defence, the first being robust packaging and the second being the positioning of the container inboard, um, or below deck, the risk can be really significantly reduced. And just by sort of implementing such basic um, guidelines, I suppose internally, or if there's legislation to do so, it could really reduce the risk uh, of incidents like this in the future. Interestingly, I think follow, uh, following the recent incident, we have seen companies like CTRANS sort of leading the way and in publishing internal guidelines, implementing these practices, which is really good to see. Um, uh, it may be a good opportunity just to mention that as plastic pellets are not classified as an IMDG cargo, um, so they are, there's not, as far as I'm aware, there's no specific rules for this cargo type. And um, for this reason, we feel that it could be improved, the, the regulation could be improved, or industry code of practice initiatives could be sort of formulated for the shipment of plastic pellets. Um, there's obvious financial and environmental incentives for this. Um, but we recognise that it's something national and international legislation could tackle. Let's uh, let's turn now to an instance where we've actually had a spill. Can you sort of comment on some of the best practices in minimising damage? Uh, certainly. So I think if the prevention measures um, haven't been successful, then one thing we would really emphasise is that quick response is really important. Uh, one of the main reasons for a proactive quick response is that nurdles can dis disperse widely and get buried, um, making cleanup even more widespread and inefficient as time goes on. Um, this increases the costs, obviously, as unlike oil, plastic does not biodegrade. So I think that's one of the fundamental key points to, to take away from this really in our experience in past cases. Uh, the faster it's reported, the faster responsible parties can respond, uh, prepare, search for the floating or sunken containers, and therefore cut off the pollution at source, which would be the obvious objective, um, rather than spending several years potentially on cleaning up the shoreline. So early communication with ITOP um, will enable us as advisors to give the best advice possible to decision makers as soon as possible. For example, modelling the trajectory of a lost container early on could enable quicker location and recovery before the contents is lost and therefore uh, reducing significant environmental impacts and the cost um, well before uh, the instance had time to escalate. Um, another sort of key best practice point I would say is in the importance of surveying for um, for the cleanup prioritisation. So after you've done some modelling, you have a better indication of where the shoreline uh, sort of segments are that are likely to be impacted. Shoreline surveys um, are really important to help prioritise efforts. Uh, you can find accumulation sites, map key locations, and then um, and sort of prioritise based on established criteria, such as the level of contamination, amenity value, for example, or access if it's really difficult to get people or equipment onto the site. So 
that's a that's another key point. Um, I mentioned accumulation sites. Uh, previous sort of cases really interesting. You've shown that local currents and winds can actually um, accumulate uh, plastics in one location, like we see for driftwood. Uh, we call these these hotspots, or it's um it's a term regularly used, and these are often already known from locals because or, or by the local population because there's a lot of driftwood in that area. So there's one as aspect you could remove all of that driftwood before the nurdles have a chance to strand on the shoreline. Therefore, separating them is going to be um, the separation process is going to be uh, sort of aided later on. Or you could if it's too late and they've already reached the shoreline, at least you know that that location is where they're going to accumulate. Um, maybe more so than other locations. So it can really, that sort of information can really actually help. And um, surveying and mapping this can be really beneficial. I think uh, uh, I'll just jump in right here that uh, I think in Norway, we're we're lucky in a way that there are local organizations who are involved in uh, plastic litter cleanup operations that have actually done some of this work already. So they they will be able to tell you where plastic um, accumulates in, in certain areas. I know, for example, a um, organization here in Arndal, Varesunde, they, they have mapped these areas so they can direct people in their cleanup activities about priority hotspots to, to uh, find a lot of litter. Mm. Okay, that's actually a really good point that the uh, the one thing that the, the trans carrier response uh, team, I guess, did really well, um, which from our perspective was that uh, they they really utilized this um, sort of mapping function really well. And uh, the public, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think um, there was a, a web based GIS platform that was used to include information on the location of the nurdles and the quantity. And this was um, this was actually using information from public reporting. So what was really good to see is that the public were reporting, putting uploading images of where they'd cited the hurdles, the quantity, and then this was validated by civil servants, I, I believe. And then uh, that enabled prioritization and coordination. And this online GIS platform enabled the, ho the whole operation to be coordinated very effectively with simple color coded shorelines, depending on the status of cleanup. So it, I think uh, getting those organizations involved like you've, you've just mentioned that has proved really effective um, particularly in this case yeah i think that's uh that's very true and there was um quite a bit of uh, public involvement in the oslo fjord in this uh, situation in this trans carrier spill they were unable to recover all of the nurdles spilled but what sea carriers did voluntarily is make a commitment to picking up plastic litter and other litter in um, an equivalent or more than equivalent tonnage as the uh, nurdle spilled. Um, do you have a comment about that as a as a way to deal with the impossibility of finding all of nurdles spilled? Uh, yes, so I think it's a it's a really interesting um, sort of case, uh, particularly because of that point, it it's a very difficult decision to decide when to terminate a cleanup. And because there's background levels of nurdles in the environment and because they don't biodegrade, um, cleanup can last for, for years. So 
this offsetting uh, method, which was used, seemed um, seemed to be uh, one potential solution once um, maybe there's been diminishing returns on the recovery uh, of, of nurdles. So I think it is something that can be sort of considered as a, an option in the future for other incidents, but it, we have to be very careful to uh, to consider that larger plastics maybe don't reflect the same environmental impact as nurdles. Um, there is an argument to say that larger plastics will be broken down into microplastics, uh, less than five millimetres, um, similar to the size of nurdles, but there's definitely, uh, it's definitely a contentious issue and something that should be considered maybe, but uh, not um, initially sort of used as a way of offsetting the impact. So I have just one final question. If you could compress the most important lesson learned uh, from ITOF's work with nurdle spills on a sort of a global basis, what would it be? Mm -hmm. That's a difficult, difficult question. Just uh, one I think, sentence. <laughs> the, I think fundamentally the the most important lesson learned is that time is of the essence because nurdles disperse widely, they don't biodegrade, and they're extremely difficult to recover. That's one sentence. Very good. I think my sentence would be prevention is better than cure. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, I think that's the best one. Okay, well, thank you so much, Thomas. It was really interesting to to talk with you. Thank you. No, no, I appreciate it. It's been very interesting and um, good working on this Transcarrier case. I think we've learned some, some good lessons from it.